So who here has had Kentucky Fried Chicken? A number of you. Who, is everyone at least, do you know what Kentucky Fried Chicken is? Imagine for me, with me for a moment, that the colonel himself shows up at your door. And he gives you the secret original recipe for country fried chicken. And he says, I am retiring. You must take over my chicken kingdom. One-way ticket to Kentucky. Recipe in hand. In a and he puts it in a briefcase, locks it. And you are to go and run the kingdom. And you, you get, finally you get to what, his chicken mansion with chickens all running all over the fields around you. And you look at that recipe, and you say, you know what? This is an exciting opportunity. I can't wait to make this even better. So you have the original recipe. The kingdom was built on this for the colonel. And you go down to the kitchen, and the head chef that controls all of the restaurants, you say, great, we're going to make some changes. So you look at that flour, and you say, you know what? We don't need that. We need to use organic rice flour because it is good for the earth. And then you look down the list and, you know, you see garlic and you're like, I'm not a big fan of garlic. And then you look down that recipe and, you know, like, I really want to spice this up. So you put in some cinnamon. And you know what works really good with cinnamon to intensify it? I'm going to put in some cloves in there. And then you just wait for that day. The, the chef makes that, and you're, you're in. It's good. You're excited for this recipe. And then next week, the, all the KFCs across the country open. And you're not met with praise. People are sad. They're disappointed. Because you changed the recipe. You brought the kingdom down. Well, that story is kind of funny, but... I'll tell you that in today's time, that is exactly what the world does with God's recipe for marriage. You see, God has a recipe for how a husband and a wife should interact with each other. He has a recipe for what marriage is. And the world says, yeah, that's a great recipe, king. But you know what would make it even better? And then they add stuff. And they take things away. And they pollute it. And then what's left is unsatisfying. It's, it's not good. It's, it's gross. You, you don't want it. And that's what we're discovering right now. You see, in Ephesians chapter 5, we had been going through practicing holiness in our personal lives. Paul had continued his application from the unity in the church. He said, you need to be united. And if you're united in the church, here's how you should live in your personal lives together. And now he's moved into talking about not just being holy in our personal lives, but being obedient in our relationships with one another. You see, we relate to each other in a number of ways. The, the biggest in the church, the biggest way we relate is together is the body of Christ, whether we're in a local church or we're in the universal church. We relate to each other in, in specific ways, but then there are all these one-to-one -one or like small group relationships, and that's what Paul's going through right now. And he's, we started with Wabi last week in and, and chapter 5, verses 22 to 24, and it's about wives relating to their husbands. And Wabi taught, I got to listen to this, at a Hard Rock Cafe at the George Bush Airport in Houston on YouTube. It was a great environment for it. I was really moved. And he taught us that, that wives are to be subject to their own husbands. And this, it's this beautiful picture of wives playing in this mystery of the church that we'll learn about today, that they, that they get to show Christ in his relationship with the church by submitting to their husband's leadership. And, and that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, an ingredient in the recipe that the world says, whoa, we, we don't need that. That's kind of gross. I don't know if I, maybe that's their garlic. And they pull that out. Like, it's kind of icky. It leaves a taste in my mouth. I, don't want, I like submitting. So I'm going to pull that one out. But we know that this is a beautiful thing that we can, in a marriage relationship, demonstrate Christ. And, and even sitting here today, you may, may be like, you know what, I kind of, maybe I, I agree with the world. Like, I see all these marriages, and I don't know, I don't know if I want to submit to my my husband or, or men are like, you know, I don't really think that's a big deal, you know. Um, but 
what we're going to learn today is when the other side of that equation, when husbands love their wives as they're, as they're supposed to, it, it creates a beautiful picture because submitting to someone is only so, is so good as that person is kind. And when we submit as Christians to Christ, that is a beautiful thing because we have a great, glorious, and loving king. And we're going to learn today that that is the husband's role. So what I want to do is that we have a long passage today, but I would like to read it up front so you kind of know where Paul's idea is going. And then we're going to go through his recipe for the husband's role of the side of marriage. So let's read. We're going to be in Ephesians 5, start reading for you in verse 25. Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is also to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So the first ingredient in the recipe that Paul addresses here is love commanded. Just as the wife is given a command, the husband is given a command, and it is very simple. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. So we're going to spend a little time diving through this, just as Wabi did, because, again, this is where the world starts to play games with words. Everyone's known what the word husband means for about 2,000 years after the Bible was written. And now the world says, you know, husbands, it could be, you know, could have two. Maybe a husband's really a wife. That's how they feel. But I, so I looked in the word, you know, I have this Bible software, and if you double-click double on a word, it's magic. It just tells you what it meant in that time. Just goes poof. This is what the word actually meant when Paul wrote it down. And the word husbands, it means this an adult human male. And if you need to kick her, if you don't understand what that means anymore, it says, in contrast to a woman. An adult human male, in contrast to a woman. So in a marriage co covenant, or uh, there, there is a man and there is a woman. And that's. That's important, and we're going to see that at the end of our chapter, why it is so important that these two roles must be as they were prescribed. We need to understand the cultural context, though, of a husband. You see, people didn't, twisting words and twisting concepts in God's word isn't new today. This has been happening for, for a long time. And, and in Paul's day and in Hebrew society, the husband was seen as master over his household in a very, very domineering way in the way it was executed in, in, in Jewish society. And so the, the Hebrew words for husband, they mean possessor. They mean owner of a woman or to rule over. They can mean all of those things. And again, you're like, how could, that, how could that word, how could the word husband mean all those things? But remember, we're going to, I'm spoiling the end, but Marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. So if we think of everything, if we keep our concept of what marriage is and shows, these words make sense. Because who is Christ? Who is God? He is master over us. He is our possessor. He rules over us. But he doesn't do it in a domineering way. He does it in a kind and generous and loving way. So it makes us glad that he is our ruler. Next, we want to see what is Paul talking about. These husbands, what are they supposed to do? Well, they're supposed to love their wives. They're supposed to love their wives. And that could seem like a very 
I mean, kind of obvious, obvious comment, but again, in this society, if you think of the way that marriage was twisted in that society, that women were seen as property, and they were seen just above slaves. They had responsibility. So they're supposed to love their wives. So Paul, this is actually very revolutionary. It is redefining what Hebrew men, Jewish men in this society, and even Roman husbands would think about what the responsibility is to their wives. They are to love them. And this, this verb, love, is, is a form of the word agape. We're all familiar with that. There are a number of different Greek words for love. This is the verb form of the word agape. But it's in the present tense. It doesn't say, husbands, love your wives, like on your wedding day. And then you go on and you live your life. No, we could read it as husbands, be loving your wives. It is a pattern of how a husband, a godly Christian husband, should live his life. He should, as a priority, love his wife continually. Because Think of it. Christ loves us continually. It doesn't stop. He doesn't love us at the moment of salvation. And then it's kind of like, okay, what? now I'm going to watch the, the football game this weekend. And I mean, if, I know you want to do other stuff, but I mean, this is what I want to do. So he sets everything else aside. This word means they have a warm regard or an interest in another to cherish something or someone, to have affection for. You hold the one you love in high esteem, and you take pleasure in them. You enjoy what you love. Just think, things that you enjoy, whether it's an activity or a physical thing, like, and just think about not people for a second. That's how you think about them, right? You, you, you cherish things. You take pleasure in what you love to do. We use that word in many different ways in our, in our language. But what you, if you love to do something, it means you take pleasure in, in it. Husband, husbands are commanded all of these things as a priority to their wife. The word, this word for love is used 143 times just in the New Testament. 143 times. About a lot of different things. But I think the most profound way it is used is when Jesus is asked for what is the greatest commandment. Because that's going to tell us really how we should think of this word. He's asked, what's the greatest commandment? And in Matthew 23, 22, 37, he says this. He said to him, you shall love, you should be loving. It's the same verb tense. You shall be loving the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. In verse, and, and he says this, the second commandment is like it. You shall love, be loving your neighbor as yourself. In this is the whole law and the prophets. The whole law is summarized in how we love God and people. And the husband is commanded, you need to fulfill that second commandment to your wife. That is your job. That's a hard job. That is a daunting task for any man. I'm a husband. That is a daunting task for me. For, for young men sitting here who aren't married, who aspire to me some, be married someday, that is a daunting task to aspire to. It is not frivolous that if we are to be married, we are to be loving our wives. In, a, in, in the same perfect, pure, holy manner as God commands all people to love him. And we can only do that by, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so the good thing is, is um, and the comforting thing is for me, I can't do that. The Bible says I can't do that. The Bible says you can't do it, men. But if we repent of our sins, if we put our faith in Christ, he will give us the ability and the desire to do it. And that's an encouragement. This word is also found elsewhere in Scripture, Romans 8, 39, and just stepping, stepping back, we're going through in, in big church right now, what is love? Tom is going through verse by verse and explaining this concept. So, so take that, what he's teaching there, and just apply it to marriage, and you will have done a far better job of what I'm explaining to you today. I don't have seven weeks to explain love to you, um, and that's to your benefit, but... Romans 8.39 says this, Owe nothing to one another except to love one another. Owe, owe nothing else except to love. 
For he who loves his neighbors fulfilled the law. There's no one that's a closer neighbor to a man than his wife. Owe nothing to one another except to love one another. We'll see in 1 John 5, 2 and 3, John writes this, By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And it's really hard. That's not what it says. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments aren't burdensome. So husbands, love your wives and it's not a burden. It's not a burden because God empowers the Christian husband to love his wife. That means there are specific ways that we should love our wives. If, if God's law is fulfilled in how we love people, there are specific ways to do it. It also means, to the contrary, that there are ways we should not do it. There are ways we should not love our wives. A lot of men love their wives, think they're loving their wives by appeasing them. These are some examples of how, how people think they're loving their wives or how they think try to love their wives and they're twisted. The world twists, twists them or the, man, or the husband's sinfulness twists them. The first way is they appease their wives. They're, the world has this saying, happy wife, happy life, right? I just keep my wife happy, life's going to be good for me. So they'll just set aside what God's commanded them and their whole, their whole idea isn't to make their wife happy, happy by serving her as Christ commands us. No, it's essentially like my wife wants that. If she wants me to do this, like, I'm going to take out the trash right now. She can be upset. And if she's upset, man, that, that NFC championship game, that's this afternoon after church, and she's going to be in my ear if I don't do it. So I'm just going to get it over with. And I can sit down with my buddies, and it'll be good. But that's not leading your wife. That's not loving her as Christ loves the church because to, to appease your wife, you're thinking of her not as the object of your affection, but as a source of displeasure, you're just trying to keep away. It's like, um, it's like you have a pinch in your ribs and you're just trying to do everything you can do to not get that pain to come back. A blog from Desiring God says this, the, the advice, happy wife, happy life, could be redeemable the husband should lavish his queen with love, finding a great deal of his joy in hers. And one could say it from an eternal perspective, happy wife in the Lord, happy life. But what is most often meant by this phrase cannot be missed. A man's life is less miserable when his woman gets her way. That's the thought process. I'm going to make my life less miserable. Well, how about men, instead of thinking, how can I make my life less bad? How can I make my life more good? And that's where we start with this command. That's why it's rooted there. The second way that a lot of husbands and men fail to love their wives is what I, what I, the, what I call the double life husband. The double life husband. Where he's hanging out with his friends or he's doing something. And then you'll hear the phrase, you'll see this in TV shows. If my wife only knew, fill in the blank what's happening right now, she'd be so ticked off. She, or she'd be so upset if she knew we were doing this with his buddies. It's not loving your wife. See, a man's leadership isn't an excuse to say, well, my wife can't, like my wife may not want me to do it, but you know, I'm the, hus I'm the man. I'm, I'm leading, so I'm doing what I want. And so he may not do it in front of her, because again, happy wife, happy life, so they kind of start going together, you see. And he's like, I'm just gonna, you know, my wife would be pretty upset if I did this, but yeah, why don't, why, don't we, why don't we actually, like I said, if we were going to do this, we're going to go to the game instead. We're going to do what I want to do. A third and sadly very common way is husbands fail to love their wives is a domineering husband. A domineering husband. And this happens in a number of ways. Instead of loving their wives, a domineering, a domineering husband thinks of his wife as less than him, less spiritually, less relationally, and ends up treating her like property. So he, he believes that he is superior in the home. And our, is the husband, is the leadership role in, superior in ways? Yes, because ultimately God has trusted us to lead, but leading isn't better. Like that's a theme in this church today. Like the, a lot of churches want to teach everyone to be a leader. Like, here's our leadership course. The problem is everyone can't be a leader because then there's no following and you're all leading the leaders. 
and it falls apart. So not everyone can be a leader, but the people who follow, I'll give you an example. The elders are our leadership in this church. Tom, Justin, Dwight, right? They're elders. They lead this church. Are they spiritually better than anyone who is in Christ in the congregation? Does God hold elders in a higher stature with him? He's like, Here's, these are my boys. These are my elders. No, he doesn't do that, right? If the, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul makes it real clear. There is not male or female. It doesn't mean there aren't boys and girls. He says, God is not a God of distinctions. He is not a respecter of persons, it's said elsewhere. We're all equal spiritually before him. But a domineering husband treats his wife as if she is second class or dirt. Domineering husbands shame their wives and embarrass them publicly. In conversation, they'll just talk down to you. It's like, yeah, the old ball and chain. That's another like 50s TV show um, phrase. They'll talk about their wife as if, as if she, she's an embarrassment. Domineering husbands, in an argument, they'll shift blame. Like this word gaslights come up in our, in our culture again. But they'll shift blame. They'll make, they'll, they'll shift blame for an argument from themselves and deflect it and just put it on their wife and, and treat her poorly. Domineering husbands are also manipulative. They're manipulative. You know, they, they, they have something they want and they're going to they're gonna use guilt they're going to use the silent treatment and shame to get what they want. So maybe, maybe their wife wants to go out and hang out with the girls or she wants to, she's, she's going to spend some time talking to her friends. He's like, you know, I really thought you loved me, but I guess if you really want to hang out with your friends instead of spend some time with me this weekend, like, I totally understand. That's not a loving husband. That's a domineering, awful husband who uses words and emotions to subjugate his wife. That's not loving it's not loving our wives. And last is coercion. You know, you'd, sure, you, you'd rather, yeah, you'd rather go spend time with the girls than with me. I get it. Fine. They're like, you can go, right? Like, I'm going to let you do what you want. You're not giving me what I want. It's coercion. That's wrong. A domineering husband behaves like that, but not a loving husband. See, Jesus called them to himself. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Shall be your servant. See, a lot of the world would think that wives are actually the servants and husbands are the leaders. But a godly husband is a servant first. If Christ came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, and we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church, husbands, our chief job is to serve our wives by loving them. So the first ingredient in the recipe was the, the command of love. The second ingredient is a couple of illustrations. So, so, so we we're going to love, but how are we to do it? And I've kind of been foreshadowing a bit, but I want to dive into what Paul says. He illustrates for us love. And we're going to see it illustrated in two ways. It's going to be illustrated in Christ's life. And it's going to be illustrated in your life, men. So I'll read for you again. I want to read verses 25 to 27. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So my first question that I want to ask of this is, how did Jesus love the church? How did Christ love the church? You see, his life was characterized by sacrificial, selfless love. And if you don't believe me, if you haven't looked in your Bible recently, there's a number of examples. The first is, we, we see it here, Paul, Paul states it plainly, he gave himself up for her. So husbands also ought to love their wives by giving up themselves for her, not dying for her. That's very rare, but there are many other ways we can give up, give up ourselves for her, like our priorities. See, Galatians 1, 3, and 4 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself 
for our sins so that he might rescue us from the present evil age. Christ gave himself up physically, his life, for the church. So, by, so then how does that look like for the husband? Well, maybe you wanted, like this super simple stuff, and these are things you can practice now. Even ladies, you can practice this now because we're all commanded to love, right? So this isn't just for the guys. I'm looking over there a lot. But we're all commanded to love one another. So we can all do this in our lives. And a, a simple way to give ourselves up, like Christ gave himself us for us, is when you want to do X and someone else wants to do Y, you prefer the other person and do Y because you love them. Because you know it makes them joy as long as it's a good thing, you know it brings joy to their lives. Husbands can give up themselves for their wives by laying aside their priorities and what they want to do to love them. He also, Christ loves the church by coming to serve them. I already, already quoted the verse, but the Son of Man he didn't come to be served, which is incredible. He came to serve. And then what? Go back to the last verse. Give his life as a ransom for many. That's the primary way he did it. But you think, I, I loved Wabi's example of you got you to look for the feet washers. Those are the men who are doing this command, who are living it out. That their chief priority, they're looking to serve. You know, I was, uh, we watch uh, a tradition in our house now is to watch uh, the, A Christmas Carol, and it's the, not the, the Muppet one. Um, it's the one with um, Alistair Sim, and he's Scrooge. It's, it's incredible. And also, like, you could get saved watching it. The Gospel's like actually in the movie. Dickens was, it's, it's incredible. But in that time period when Dickens was writing, a common greeting was, your servant, Mr. Marley, your servant, Mr. Scrooge. And that always... I, like, I just love that greeting because that's how we should think of how we interact with everyone. When I have guys that work with me or like kids that ask, like, how do I like figure out how to get a job? Like, if you do everything as like, I'm just going to serve people, you're going to end up in a good spot as, as the, just a rule. It's not a guarantee, but as a rule because you're just looking to do, you're looking to serve. You're looking to do what is best for the other person. You're setting aside your interests. And uh, Christ came to serve us. Husbands should serve their wives. He purchased the church with his blood. That's incredible. Um, that's Acts 20, 28. In Paul's farewell to Ephesus, he said this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit's made you overseers. This is to the elders at Ephesus. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his blood. He purchased it with his blood. He purchased it with something very necessary, very personal, right? Very important to him, his own life. So we should serve, husbands should serve their wives with utmost importance. And last, Christ loved the church by humbling himself. This is one of my favorite passages in scripture, just a chapter back from where Michael read earlier today in Philippians 2. Um, and Paul wrote this, have, a, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be stolen from him. That means he gave it up instead. He freely did it. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and, making, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by, being, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, all of these things go back to Christ's ultimate sacrifice for us, is setting aside his priorities, but he humbled himself. He did not have to come down and save us wretched sinners, but he did. And so if husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, if Jesus can set aside everything, all of the prerogatives he had as God, and come on this earth and live as a nasty, stinky man for 33 years and then die for rotten sinners, then I can follow the instructions I give my four-year-old and if I need to take out the trash because my wife wants me to, I can do it with a happy, joyful heart. And I roll my eyes and be like, oh, I'm, watching, like I'm, I'm doing what I want to do. That's not what I want to do. I don't want to go do this outside thing right now, right? I can humble myself. I can joyfully serve. So that is how Jesus loved the church. That's how Christian husbands should love their wives. Why did Jesus love the church? So that's a good question. That's a question for the ages. Why did Jesus love the church? 
Well, he had an intentional purpose in loving the church. We find it here. It's so that he might sanctify her. The word sanctify just means to make holy. That was his goal in loving the church, that he might sanctify her. That those whom he redeemed, he would ultimately make in his own likeness. To make it suitable. Jesus says in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So how are we going to sanctify, how are husbands going to sanctify their wives? They're going to lead them in God's truth. They're not going to lead them in what they want, right? They're not going to change the recipe. They're going to follow the book. We have a book. We follow the book. It's very simple. There's a lot of books written about marriage, how to do it. There's a lot of blogs written about marriage, Instagram posts, heaven forbid, TikTok stories. I'm sure there's a lot of those too. haven't seen them. But there's probably a lot of those going around. Young men and women, we have a book. We have the recipe. Sanctify them in the truth. Jesus prayed to the Father. How is he going to do that? Your word is truth. So godly husbands lead their wives in the word. And that doesn't mean, I, I, got a, I, I laughed about this. I did see an Instagram reel or story or whatever. They, I don't even know what they're called. I'm like, that's my job. But there's too many things. Um, but there was one, it was Paul Washer, and this is about kids. Um, and so he was like, he got asked, like, my, my, my family, they just don't want to sit through our daily Bible time. And he's like, well, what does it look like? He's like, well, and he, the guy described it, and it, it was a church service. It was like an hour and a half a day, and there was music, and there was a lesson, and all this. And he was like, I wouldn't want to sit through that either. Like, I'd be out. Like, when you hear that, it, it, it can sound intimidating, but I'll tell you, the primary way that husbands even sanctify their wives in the truth of the word isn't even like by like even reading the Bible with them. It's by living a godly life. But also in that, going through scripture, talking about spiritual things with your wife, having that close, that close relationship where that's the, that, is the, that is the easiest thing to talk about is the things of God. Where husbands get off is that they need to sit down and like teach their wives the Bible. Like that, that's not the command. Like you don't need to sit your, when you get married, man, you don't need to sit your wife down first thing in the morning and be like, so I'm going to explain to you Philippians 4, 22 and 23. And we're going to go to the original Greek. Like that's, that's not, that's not what's in line here. Now, now if your wife loves that, if you marry a woman who loves that, that's great. Do it. But if I did that to Jill, she'd be like, bro, like. I get it. That's super cool. You love that. But, like, can we, um, right, can, can, we, can we do this in a different way? Wouldn't work. So, he, he, he loves the churches that he wants to sanctify her, and, and, and that a husband should have a sanctifying love for his wife. And all of those things are to make her more like Jesus. Notice he also is purifying the church that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle. Throughout the word, and, and more than it is by instruction. See, Boyce, James Boyce says this, is a, is a great quote. This verb, cleansing, carries out the spiritual meaning of the verb sanctify. So this is how it's going to happen, or making holy. And it teaches us that God holds husbands responsible. This is convicting. God holds husbands responsible for the spiritual growth and maturing of their wives, as well as their own children. So, Men are held responsible by God. Husbands are. Not men. Husbands are responsible by God to do this. So we must. And then what, what will Christ do with the church? Well, he might present to the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. See, the fruit of Christ's labor and his love for the church is the church's ultimate glory. The church's ultimate glory to reign with Christ on a new heavens and a new earth. And husbands must love their wives in a similar manner that wants to see them like that. And that is an act of service. We keep coming back to service. But you see that in 1 Peter 1.19, this, the same idea, we were redeemed with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So if Christ is going to love the church and want her unblemished and spotless, pure and holy, then that's how a husband must think of his duty. This is his job. It's hard. No one does it perfectly. But it must be what we do. And it will happen. For, for the believer, for the, for the Christian, it will happen. 
You know, Romans 8, that if God foreknew, whom God foreknew, they will be glorified. But husbands have a spot to play in that, right? Just Philippians 2, we go a little further. And we must work out our salvation, but God also is working in us to make us good and right in his own sight. And that's how the husband is to serve his wife. He, you, like I, a husband cannot make his wife holy, but he can live a life working in God's within God's recipe for marriage that God will work alongside him and bring about his, his purposes. So Paul first illustrated a husband's love with Christ's example. The second example, he's going to illustrate a husband's love with the husband's own life. Right, your next point could be in your life. And it's talking about you need to love your wife as you love yourself. Looking back at, at the word, verse 28, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his own body. I feel like Paul, Paul must have knew, known that men struggle with also micromanaging other people's lives, because the word own is in those two verses four times. Four times. So it's like, hey, it's just like wives don't have to submit to all men. It's like men, all women don't need to submit to you. You worry about your wife. That's, like, that's enough of a task to love your own wife. You don't need to worry about running everyone else's life. Love your own wives as your own body. Here's Paul's point. Husbands must love their wives with the same devotion as the husband does for himself. Just think for a second, this will just be to the men, how meticulously do you care for yourself? Some of you less than others, that's fine. I'm on the left side, so that's not a joke, man. I'm, I'm there with you. I'm on the left side. I get my hair cut more frequently, so I don't have to do it. Nothing wrong with that. But how meticulously do you, do you care for yourselves? I mean, you, you, keep, you mostly keep safe. Again, most of you do things that keep yourself safe. You wear the proper clothing. No one's had shorts on today. It's like cold outside. Some of you guys wear shorts. That's cold. I don't get it. Um, you eat mostly, again, the right foods. You take care of yourself. And this was, I was just thinking, like, how do I take care of my own self? And then, like, working, I was like, well, I work out, right? I want to stay fit. I know, like, and you're like, Eric, we know you work out. So please, like, you don't have to talk about it. But I do. Um, but then I was like, do I spend an hour of my life a day loving my wife intentionally? That was just like, I was just blindsided by that. I spent an hour, not every day, um, I don't need to, um, at the gym. But do I spend a focused intention hour just setting it aside to love my wife? And like, the answer was obviously no. And I was like, wow. Like, so I really had to think through that. That was very convicting. So first, we need to love our wives as our own bodies. We love ourselves in these ways and more. And Paul wants us to understand that when we love our wives as ourselves in those physical ways where we nurture our own bodies, that we are doing what God has instructed. You notice there's words, if you have an NAS Bible, in verse 31, you have words in all caps. It says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall, be, then the two shall become one flesh. There's no closer human relationship. That's what that's teaching us. There's no closer human relationship. MacArthur says, a Christian husband is to care for his wife with the same devotion that he naturally manifests and cares for himself. I'm going to repeat that because I didn't get it the first time either. A Christian husband is to care for his wife with the same devotion he naturally manifests as he cares for himself. So thinking about that, as you're on the road to perhaps becoming married one day, young men, and women, as you're looking for a man that perhaps you may marry one day, look for someone that cares for other people as much as he cares for himself. A self-focused husband is a dangerous and deadly husband who neglects his wife to her own hurt. You think even back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, like, G Jesus says, hey, your father in heaven, like, he takes care of all these things. 
You think, don't think he's going to take care of you too? He takes care of the birds. They have food. So he's going to take care of you. But just think of it. If he takes care of the birds, but you're on your own. I'm fo- you're gonna, he, he's just focused on himself, on these other things. It's not how a man's supposed to love his wife. Men also should love their wives by providing and protecting for her. They, they have to have a holy love. They should have a purifying love like Christ. Men must have a nourishing love. Husbands must have a nourishing love. The word nourish means to feed. It's the same word as we'll see. It's only twice in the Bible, and it's in very close succession by Paul here. It says it in verse 6-4, to bring them up. Talking about how husbands and wives, parents raise children. It's the same word. You bring them up. You nourish them. A husband should have a nourishing love for their wife and care for them. They should also have a cherishing love. And the word cherish means to protect and care for. To protect and care for. And there's no better illustration in all of literary history of cherishing than Gollum in The Lord of the Rings, right? We all know that. Gollum cherished that ring. He loved it. He talked, he said all the kind words to that ring. He kept it clean around his neck. It was like no one was getting that ring until he, of course, dropped it. So lesson, don't drop your wives into a a river Um, or someone else will find her. Um, That one was for free. Um, So you need to, we need to, men, husbands should cherish their wives in that same devoted manner. First Thessalonians 2, 7, but we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. That's the same word, cherish. Tender, husbands should tenderly care for their wives. So young men, don't miss this. It is a manly thing to tenderly love and care for your wives and your children. That's important. The world doesn't tell you that. The world says, hey, that ingredient, toss that one out too. Man, they're tough. They're, they're, they're distant. They don't feel emotions. They just, they just do them. No. Godly men, husbands, fathers, cherish and protect what God has entrusted to them. Because God cherishes and protects us. Isn't that incredible? God cherishes us. He saves those who are in Christ. Anyone who repents from their sins, who puts their faith in Christ, he protects and cherishes them so much that it is impossible for the believer to fall away. Think about what Christ said to Peter. He said, Satan wants to sift and devour you like a roaring lion. And Christ said, I prayed for you, so that's not going to happen. That's how husbands should protect and cherish their wives. That they know the world's out to get them but they're going to lead their wife in a way to protect them from the world, from the enemy. And they should do it in a way that's just like Christ. So if you weren't, like, um, if you weren't nervous about getting married at this point, you should just do it exactly like Jesus did. Paul, Paul says, um, do all this just as Christ also does the church because we're members of his own body. See, Paul bookends, really, his argument for what, how husbands should love their wives with do it like Jesus because it's, he's the best example. He lived a sinless life. Christ nourishes, Christ cherishes, so husbands also must do so for their wives. And how, how does Christ nourish and cherish his body? How does he do it for the church? Well, he gave us his Holy Spirit, John 14, 16, so that we can learn the word. He guides us in the truth, John 16, 13. And he illuminates his word for us, that, that, that word that we're supposed to be sanctified. He doesn't just give us a book and we've got to figure it out. Um, he, he gives us his Holy Spirit to illuminate his word. He will glorify me. This is Jesus speaking of the Spirit. He will glorify me, the Spirit, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. He is going to show us how to live a holy life. And in the same way, husbands should love their wives. Well, lastly... The mystery revealed. So we had the recipe, and now this is like, you go back, so to go back to my, my illustration, think about everything falls flat on its face. And, and you go back to the kernel and be like, man, you gave me this recipe, and I'm going to get tweaked it a little bit, and like ruin the company, like KFC, like stock plunged, right? Lots of angry Facebook messages, um, Kim Kardashian or whoever's like doing TikTok, like this is my favorite thing and now it's terrible and now you got this huge like mob of like internet people after you. He's like, well, why? He's like, well, I changed the recipe. 
Like, let me tell you why that was the recipe. Because you shouldn't have changed it. There's a reason. Paul said, there's a reason for the recipe God has for marriage. Did you know that? There's a, there's a reason for the proper recipe of marriage. And it is this. He says, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, and then he summarizes what he just told husbands and wives. Nevertheless, each individual among you is also to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see it, see to it that she respects her husband. There's a reason the recipe is how it is, and that's why we're not supposed to change it. It's God's recipe. It is the God created marriage, so God created how it should work. And if you follow his rules, things go better. See, a mystery, this, this word comes up a lot in the book of Ephesians in Paul's writing. It's, it's something that was hidden in the past, but revealed in the present. And Paul is now revealing what the mystery of marriage is to us. MacArthur says, marriage is a sacred reflection of the magnificent and beautiful mystery of the union between the Messiah and his church. You see, that's God's entire purpose in marriage, is to give us a visible rep representation on earth about how our Savior cares for us. Because if you're like me, I can't imagine what that looks like from God's perspective, from this plan in eternity and how, how He, this perfect, holy, and loving God, cares for a sinful, awful, rebellious people who He has saved and it, it, it is bringing into likeness of His own Son. I can't really picture that. So, and so God did us a favor, really, in giving us on earth a relationship that it's not going to be perfect, but a relationship that is designed to show that spiritual reality in our physical world. See, this is why the biblical Christian of doctrine of marriage can't change with the culture. Because you'll hear this a lot on the news, but like, you know, why don't you just like go along with the culture? And some you see some churches capitulating, but you, the church must hold fast because. The marriage is a picture of the gospel. If you change marriage, you change the gospel. You say it's not important. You see infidelity, saying that like you can have open relationships, infidelity and fornication. It, said, it demonstrates that Christ is an uncommitted savior. He just, you know, it's kind of casual. He does what he wants. Have you thought about that? Or how about divorce? This is, uh, the, the church ultimately just like let this one go. But divorce shows the world that Jesus isn't really that serious about his bride, and if she gets to be, you know, too difficult, he'll just abandon her. It tells the world, you know what? If you're too difficult for Jesus, he's just going to leave you flat. Marriage is crucial to showing an unbelieving world the glory of the gospel. So when a husband and wife do these roles that to the world seem crazy, that seem outdated. It shows them that we have an even crazier message that's foolishness, that God himself came to die on this earth for his own people, rose from the dead, and that whoever, whosoever would believe, place their faith in him, and turn from their sins, would have eternal life. See, the gospel is far more troubling to the world and foolish than a Christian version of marriage. And that's why it is so important that we hold to that. So, none of y'all high school guys, guys or girls are married right now, so why, why don't we just skip over this? Well, there's some really important application, I believe, that can be found in this verse. And, and first, I'm going gonna, gonna to focus on young men, that it is imperative among you, if you desire to be married at some point in your life, to start practicing these traits now. Because and this is where it also goes over to the ladies. Not, nothing of what was commanded in this verse is not commanded of all believers. You are to love one another. Right? We're to bear one another's burdens. There's, I believe, I think it's 87 one another's in the New Testament. And they're not just for husbands and wives. They're for everyone. So you can start practicing them now. Practice them with your parents. Practice them with your friends. Practice them with other people in the church. Get involved and serve and be someone's servant. Be everyone's servant. 
Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. John 13, 34. Just as I have loved you, you also must. Hear that word must. No options. You must also love one another. It's not about marriage. That's about being a Christian. Love one another. And work out your own sanctification. Desire to be more like Christ so that you can better display Christ in your relationships and that when that moment comes, when, when God points you to that woman that you say, you know what, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with her, that you can be the husband God has commanded you be. And for young ladies, I would say first that I would prioritize everything I saw on this list and that, that's what I would look for. I wouldn't look for who's got the best job. I wouldn't look for who's got the coolest car, who's the best looking. I would look for who looks the most like Jesus. And that's who I would want to pursue. And you can test who they are before they're married to you by seeing how they do those things to the people around them. And if they don't, the best example um, that you get is if, if they if they aren't servant-hearted and kind and cherishing towards their own mother, it's going to be real hard for them to exemplify that towards you. So look for those things. But ultimately, be diligent now, all of us, whether married or not, be diligent now to be pray, to, to pre prepare to first be godly servants of the kingdom so we can be godly husbands and godly wives to put the glory of, gospel, of the gospel on display for the world to see. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this very convicting text. There is none of us men here who are leaders who are married that can do this perfectly. And I know for those who, who aspire to be husbands that feel confident that at this moment that we could live out the commands that you've given us. But we know that, that you have sent a helper for those who are in Christ, you have given us your Holy Spirit to help us understand your word and to grow us into the conformity of Christ so that ultimately we can be members of your kingdom that lead, that lead wives in a, in a Christ-like manner for the glory of Christ. And it's his name that we pray. Amen.